This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dustin Gold. Welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Folks, come over there and join us. It's a fantastic community. There are dozens of people who are sending me direct messages every day with information, intelligence, well wishes for my wife and I as the baby approaches, folks. For all of you that have been sending me those, thank you very much. My wife appreciates it as well. Uh, We just had a meeting this evening with one of our midwives and everything is going good. So the baby is expected in the next probably 24 to 48 hours. So keep your uh, fingers crossed and keep uh, praying for us. We really do appreciate that, folks. Honestly, from the very bottom of my heart, many of you have reached out and it means the world to us. It really does. It's so... um, humbling to know that there is a community of folks out there really friends and family of this show who really do care about us so thank you for that i thank you to everyone who has joined pain.tv slash gold as you know you get access to the ad-free video version of this show as well as the thomas Payne podcast and you get to communicate with each other on a facebook like application you can create groups there's people who share information on gardening on all sorts of topics so uh it's worth it folks it's worth the eight dollars and change also to everyone who has left a five-star review on apple podcast thank you very much thank you for the comments please continue to do that because it does help us again the show is growing every day it's like it'll hit a certain level it's it's crazy i'm trying not to be addicted to the analytics but to see how many people are actually listening is pretty amazing it makes me feel really good that the work that i'm doing here is worth it and then when I see you guys tagging me at pain.tv slash gold and on Twitter and sharing information with me that relates to the stuff we're studying and you're really getting it and understanding it, that just makes me feel like what I do here is worth it. For me, uh, throughout my entire career, um, I have to be doing something that has meaning, not just that makes money. And throughout my career, I have actually made a lot less money than I could have because there are certain jobs I won't take. If I don't feel like I'm making a difference or I don't really love what I'm doing, it just doesn't mean anything to me. I don't do things just for money. 
It's just always the way that I've been. So thank you very much for that, folks. We really appreciate it. All right. I want to start off tonight just letting you know I had a couple conversations with Wide Awake Jim. We're getting ready to do the second part of the series that we started with episode 80. He's got a lot of information. He's going to be explaining the Bank for International Settlements, the International Money Fund, and a number of those organizations that really control the flow of capital and control the resources. He's going to break that down for us. I've been going deep, deep, deep into the history of the New Deal connected to technocracy, Franklin Roosevelt's brain trust, which was comprised of some technocrats, been getting deep into the origins of modern uh, eugenics, and I'm going to be able to show you how technocracy has really grown into the new brand of sustainable development or climate change, some of these other hustles that they run, and how eugenics has become transhumanism. We're going to show you how that all works and ties together. I'm getting deep into the founding of the Federal Reserve. Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, is working on that. There's some bankers that we have identified that were connected into technocracy. So we're working on that timeline for you. And the founding of the Federal Reserve back in 1913 plays into this big picture as well. As always, it looks like it's the Rockefellers, it's bankers behind a lot of this stuff. So we're just trying to put all those pieces together. There are a lot of... um, long papers that were written over the years, two, three, four hundred pages that I've been finding and reading through, and then every one of those references, 20, 30, 40, 50 books. Jim has his own library. He's been buying more books, so we're digging through as much as we can. I think Jim's going to be on a hot wire with Mike Moore, the Thomas Paine podcast, in the next day or two to talk about sound investing opportunities in this type of system. Uh, That's pretty much how he got into researching this stuff. And so he's going to talk about some of that, things you can do in your life to try to insulate yourself, to be able to invest some money, to try to at least stay up to speed with inflation. So that's going to be great. I don't know all the details. Mike's producing that, but Jim, let me know that he's going to be doing that. So when that comes out, I'll let you guys know so you can get over to the hot wire and listen. I'll be listening. And then Jim will eventually talk about some of that on the Dustin Gold Standard in the coming week weeks. So we've got a lot planned, several episodes that we're going to be working on, and we're going to be tying my work into his work and then bringing Maria's work into this. So it's going to be a lot. It's a group effort, and I'm really blessed to have those people on my research team right now. Uh, Jim and Maria are just fantastic researchers, and all of us have different skill sets and and different uh, interests in the type of topics that we research, but to find how it all connects is just frank frankly fascinating as far as I'm concerned and I think all of the information we're bringing you uh, has value folks we have to understand uh, where we came from and then understand what's going on today and if we look at the original blueprints 
It allows us to figure out exactly what they're implementing in the moment. And then we can start to predict what's going to happen 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now based on what those original blueprints were. And what we've already discovered here is that technocracy is really just intertwined in our culture right now. What we've been able to put together is that the so-called technocratic movement really grew out of socialism, communism, Marxism, progress progressivism, and then fascism. And so all those guys eventually united under this political theory of technocracy, which is social engineering, the science of social engineering, and then the ability to control the social mechanism of the means of production and distribution. It is also a system of total control with no individualism allowed inside of that system. And then what I found is that technocracy back in the uh, 1920s and really it's influenced by guys coming out of the late 1800s you can see that they were hand in hand with the eugenicists the folks that believed in eugenics and basically racial breeding and weeding out the unfit folks we're going to get into some of that tonight and so now we can see that eugenics evolved into transhumanism and technocracy really evolved into the world wide climate change sustainable development models and the whole hashtag of trust the science trust the science trust the science so all the pieces are coming together and i think as we can see technocracy really we're living inside of the matrix of technocracy people don't understand they don't realize that we are not living in the george washington version of america what we were taught in school uh, it was a fictitious ver, fictitious version of the founding. If you want to learn more about that, listen to Legal Man on his podcast, The Quash. But I will tell you, let, let's just take for face value that what we learned in school was 100% accurate. Well, what they don't get into are all the moments throughout our history, big events that caused a provoked reaction of the populace that then led to solutions that allowed them to weave in elements of technocracy, this system of total control. So what I'm going to do tonight before we get into eugenics and before we talk a little bit more about Rexford Guy Tugwell, this technocrat who ended up being the lead thinker for FDR's brain trust that developed the New Deal, which had all of these elements of technocracy embedded inside of it. And I will give you my input on some theories I have about how Howard Scott, the founder of Technocracy Incorporated, fits into this. What we're going to do is I want to start off with this tweet. That was put out by Mike Moore on Twitter from his account at Thomas1774 Payne, P-A-I-N-E. And he put this out uh, yesterday at 9.42 p.m. It says, the entire system is rigged. Voting is a sham. The map of Pennsylvania is all red voters, except for the blue shit 
a-holes who the red folks underwrite yet the reds control nothing they vote and have no representation your mistake is treating this like it is a fair setup they conned you all right and i responded to mike's tweet and i said lots of folks on this thread are saying population density wins over actual land size in parentheses true in the founding of this country only landowning men voted not saying that's right or wrong but people keep asking what's going on you don't live in the country based on the founding so what i'm going to do tonight is i want to break down a few moments in history not a lot of stuff okay what i'm working on right now is a spreadsheet i mentioned it yesterday on a problem reaction solution loop so i am going to go through again i've said it's going to take me quite a while but i'm going to go through in cooperation with maria albanese and wide awake jim and we are going to put down the top 100 events in our history the 100 problems that were created and then we're going to write down the reaction general reaction from the populace and then the solutions that were put into place and eventually we're going to be able to show how exactly the elites transformed the country from our founding into what it is today and what you'll realize is the country we are living in today is not the country of the founding so if you want to believe in this fairy tale version of what we learned in school that our country is this idea of a liberal democracy or this idea of a constitutional republic this idea of free ca- uh, free market capitalism we are not in that system so when you're looking at something like mike tweeted here again the entire system is rigged voting is a sham the map of pennsylvania is all red except for the blue shitholes who the red folks underwrite yet the reds control nothing they vote and have no representation your mistake is treating this like it's a fair setup they conned you what mike is saying is true and we're going to explain why that's true but when we're looking at at this through the lens of the founding of our country you're going to see so many things have changed since the founding of our country and how the actual system works that you can't win in the system it's not designed to win all right so you have to stop thinking this way so what mike is talking about is if you take let's say new york and you have new york city and new york city is so gigantic what does it have 10 12 14 million people now and it votes blue but the rest of the state is red the blue city ends up selecting the main piece uh, the largest percentage the majority of the legislature and then therefore the whole state is governed as blue well i'm going to show you how the founders set up the system and then you'll understand why the system we have now where you say you're losing in you can only lose you can't lose the way the founder set it up you would win now there's going to be stuff that's deemed to be controversial because we're going to have to talk about uh, african americans right to vote non-landowners right to vote women's right to vote and i don't want to tick off any anyone in this audience so i'm not saying any of these things from the founding to now are right or wrong or how it should be i'm not taking an opinion on it the point of this exercise is for me to show you that the country you live in today is not the country that you thought it that you believe it is that you 
believe it is based on the founding. The same way I told you that we live inside of a technocracy now, we do not live in a constitutional republic. So the problem that you're facing when you're sitting there wasting time watching Tucker Carlson or listening to talk radio to Mark Levin or these guys is you are being told that you're living in a constitutional republic and the problem is corrupt Democrats. Well, the Republicans are just as corrupt as the Democrats. And if you say, well, I'd rather have a Republican than a Democrat, then you're just cheering on corruption no matter what. What you have to understand is that the country you live in is not the country you believe you live in. You are a refugee inside of a system of which you believe is a different system. And I'm going to show you that tonight with proof. A few major things that changed in our country's history that made it into what it is today, which is not the country of George Washington. I'm going to show you those things so you can stop banging your head against the wall and worrying about things like this, that Pennsylvania goes blue because of a couple of cities. Well, that's the way it's going to be. Learn to live with it, and then we have to work around it, folks. And then I'm going to show you a little bit about eugenics going back into the beginning phases of technocracy, which is going to set us up. I believe tomorrow I'm going to delve into uh, transhumanism, tie that back to eugenics. I'm going to start to work more of these technocratic players at the founding in, start to show you connections into FDR as I begin to piece this together like an investigator. All right, folks, absorb that. When we come back, I will show you the first big scam that changed the way our country's voting worked. You can decide if you agree or disagree, but at least you'll understand we are not the country that you believe we are. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. I am who you believe I am. I'll be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. Welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, let me show you this. So I have the thread up here from uh, the tweet that Mike Moore sent out. And I want to just read some comments here, folks. This first one is uh, Janet in Florida. And she says, don't be ridiculous. The blue Democratic business areas of Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia support the rest of the state by paying taxes. The rest of the state are old and retired people on Social Security. Uh, This person fiery but mostly peaceful says you mean all the economic opportunity zones that get tax breaks those are the ones supporting the rest of the state like philly is supporting doylestown and the berg is supporting fox chapel do you know anything about pa at all Okay, then you have the Tangerine Tantrum says, LOL, the map of PA where almost no one lives is red. Where are 
where there are dense populations of people, it is blue. People count. Land does not. And the cities actually make most of the money, pay most of the taxes. And like always, Republicans are freeloaders. Okay, then you have uh, Larry parody account not actual larry says it's called gerrymandering in california is completely sold off there are no r's that are not working with the d's to screw us not a one okay and so you have a lot of other areas like this okay somebody puts uh i'm sorry you have a lot of other responses like this somebody puts uh trixie the pug the blue areas are where the most pennsylvanians live thus they should have control then Fiery puts in population of Philadelphia, 1.5 million. Population of Pittsburgh, 300,000. Two most populous cities. Total population of PA, 13 million. Clearly, there is another 11 million residents spread out all over the state. So, see, so you have people arguing back and forth over this. Uh, making arguments based on the population versus the land. And so... I would say over the last 10, 15, 20 years, I don't know, since I've been following elections, you'll always have Fox News, they'll put up the map of the country, or they'll put up a map of a state, and you'll see almost all red and then some blue dots, right? And so if it's a state map, you'll see, for instance, like Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, like Mike is talking about, are blue, and everything else is red. Well, first off, I brought on Magdalene Rose, the 22-year-old young conservative, tied into politics, uh, more on the ground involved with conservative organizations than probably most of us here in this audience. And so she had told me that the truth is that over the years, the Republicans have basically lied to all of us, that there are not 70% of people that identify as conservative. Then we also talked about those that identify as conservative. What does that really mean now? There's no more fiscal conservatism. There's no more social conservatism. So what does conservatism even mean? Nobody really knows what that definition is. But let's get back to this point here so if we're supposed to see these maps as all red except the two cities are blue and then people are saying it's not fair the people in the cities end up controlling the whole state because they have denser population therefore they have more representatives both in congress at the national level and in their state uh parties right i mean in the uh, state legislature so let's look at this for a minute you say to yourself well how did the founders uh deal with an issue like this well first let's look back to history so here i'm gonna go to history.com and the reason why i picked this list i know history.com is not the purveyor of history but this story is true the evidence in here the facts in here are real so this is under a section called history stories and it says the exclusionary history of voter registration dates to 1800 In the first presidential election, only white landowning men were allowed to vote, and some founding fathers wanted to keep it that way. Let me repeat, folks. In the founding of our country, it says in the first presidential election, only white landowning men were allowed to vote, and some founding fathers wanted to keep it that way. So are you understanding that? Is that what we have today? Is that the system that exists today in 2022? No. 
pretty much everyone could vote, short of some felons and stuff like that, but pretty much everyone could vote. So it says in the first presidential election, only white landowning men were allowed to vote, and some founding fathers wanted to keep it that way. All right, so we don't have that system anymore. So right there, the country that you're living in is not the country that we lived in or our ancestors lived in or where we believe we came from, which was the founding of our country. That is a major change in how elections work, right? Let's just continue so you have a full understanding of this. It says, when George Washington was elected as the first U.S. president in 1789, he won with a landslide, securing 69 out of 69 available electoral votes. Well, we have a lot more electoral votes than back then, Right? 69 and 69 is what? 138? What do we have now? 400 and something? I can't even remember. It doesn't really matter to me because I've disengaged from the process. But that has changed, right? It says here, but only a very limited part of the population had actually voted since white property owners were the only group of Americans allowed to participate in the election. Some of the founding fathers wanted to keep it that way. John Adams warned in a 1776 letter that expanding voting rights to other parts of the population was a, quote, dangerous, end quote, idea. Quote, new claims will arise. Women will demand a vote. Lads from 12 to 21 will think their rights not enough attended to, and every man who has not a farthing will demand an equal voice with any other in all acts of state, end quote, John Adams wrote. Okay, you see, this was a debate going on back in the founding of our country. At the time, only white landowning men voted. You don't have that system today. So stop thinking that you live in the founding. You don't. You don't. And I'm sure most people don't know this. But it'll answer a lot of your questions. You can stop worrying about this because you don't live in that system anymore. It says, despite Adams' misgivings, voting rights did eventually broaden. By 1856, property ownership was no longer a factor. In 1870, African Americans secured the right to vote, followed by women in 1920 and Native Americans in 1924. So see that? Between 1856 and 1924... We added almost all the other groups who could then vote. Again, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm not taking a stance on this. I am just showing you that the system in which you're living under is not the system in which you believe you live under. You cannot change the rules and then believe you're going to get the same results. It just doesn't happen. goes on to say, but a system of state-run voter registration first established in Massachusetts in 1800 has often proven to be more of a roadblock to would-be voters than an invitation to participate in democracy. Quote, in some places, voter registration was designed to hinder political machines and to make it harder for people to register and to vote, end quote, says Alex Kaiser, a historian at Harvard University and author of the book, The Right to Vote, the contested history of democracy in the United States. Quote, after some early quarrels, the machines generally learned how to cope with new registration rules and made sure that their people were registered in voting. But many immigrant workers and, of course, African Americans elsewhere were prevented from voting, end quote. See, 
This is what went on throughout your history. Some of this you learned about in school, but you didn't actually understand that what it did is it completely transformed the system from what it started as in the founding. So you can't believe you're operating in the founding of this country when all these changes occurred. And I would imagine the majority of you would say it's good that non-landowning people could vote. It's good that women could vote. It's good that Native Americans could vote. It's good that African Americans could vote. Right? I'm sure many of you are actually saying that so you can't say that's good and then complain that we've abandoned the founding because you have to take all those things with you that you don't agree with if you want to keep the founding intact i mean most of you know we had slavery in the founding and then eventually got rid of that well if you want the founding intact you'd have to leave slavery intact see so we're not in the same system anymore all right i'll just finish this up it says the efforts in various states to create voter registration systems did have the stated purpose of bringing as kaiser says quote honest fair and uncorrupted elections end quote that voters did benefit from but voter registration also became a battleground across the nation with vying political factions manipulating the execution of these laws to favor votes for their side throughout the states voter registries were stalled in legislation in the decades following the creation of the massachusetts system some new england states followed suit but most did nothing until mass efforts in the north after 1860 made registries seem uh, required when the systems were eventually developed they were mostly confined to large cities pennsylvania's 1836 voter registration laws in philadelphia show how some voter registries ended up limiting voters kaiser writes opponents charged that voter registration created more fraud than it prevented and was intentionally designed to cut down the number of voters in the city handing control of state legislation to rural voters it wasn't uncommon for philadelphia voters to show up at the poll only to find their names removed from the official documents when an attempt was made to make registration statewide it was easily defeated all right we're not going to go through the rest of this we don't need to folks but what i'm showing you is that the system right the system has completely changed from what you believe was the founding of this country you know what let's actually finish this urban growth and immigration followed the american civil war spurred the establishment of more voter registrations but some charged the drive had more to do with black americans moving north and the desire to suppress their political voice wherever voters registrations were put in place sneaky attempts to control whose names got on the voter rolls followed registration during this post-civil war era was mostly accomplished by going door to door so it wasn't hard to avoid registering poor citizens and others deemed undesirable by corrupt political parties and the systems were rife with fraud that allowed for fake registration because of the political battles meant to fix corruption registration laws were mostly to, uh, were most uh, were typically in constant flux and voters found it difficult to keep track of how and when to register some efforts to limit registration were comically 
restrictive. Kaiser writes, for example, that in 1885, Ohio allowed voters to register on only seven elect days during the year until a court overturned the law. In 1867, New Jersey law stipulated that registration was only allowed on the Thursday before election, and anyone was permitted to dispute a registrant. In neighboring New York City in 1908, voter registration was held on the Jewish Sabbath, and during Yom Kippur as a way of keeping Jews, many of whom were socialists, away from the polls. Since corruption continued to be a concern, states turned to the idea of having a central, unaffiliated statewide authority oversee elections. In 1913, Nebraska created a permanent registry with an election commissioner that would become the standard model based on Boston and Chicago efforts. By World War I, most states had voter registration laws, but the controversies never went away. In 1920, the 14th Amendment allowed states to decide what crimes would allow the loss of voting rights, which Kaiser says has been used to purge large segments of the population, mostly black, from the voter rolls. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 sought to overcome legal barriers at the state and local levels that prevented black Americans from exercising their right to vote. Kaiser estimates that while registration laws have cut down on fraud, they've also dissuaded millions of voters from exercising their right. Quote, any voter registration system is dealing with trade-offs between preventing fraud and making the ballot box accessible, end quote, Kaiser says. Quote, the devil was and is in the details, as we are seeing now in Georgia, North Dakota, and elsewhere. A lot of current controversies have features similar to those in North and the South in the 1890s. So what the point of all that, folks, is to show you that's just a little article. And look how complicated this system has been since the founding. It's complex. It's corrupt. There's so many changes you went from only white land owning men voting to everyone voting and then you ask yourself how the system changed so much you don't live in kansas anymore toto that is the truth all right ladies and gentlemen when i get back let me show you another example of where our country has completely changed from the founding that you somehow still think you live in i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, so you'd say to yourself, all right, Dustin, I understand. Voting rights has changed. We don't vote the same way we did in the founding. More people vote now. Well, you have to say to yourself, wait a second, let's go back and think of that mic, that uh, map that Mike Moore, Thomas Paine had described. You have all of Pennsylvania red and then the two cities, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, blue, right? You'd say, well, what does that have to do with what you just told us about? Well, what did I say, folks? White landowning men were the only ones who voted 
in the founding of our country, actually, for quite some time. Well, let's just look at some modern statistics here. This is from September 2017. I'm at census.gov, right, the government website. And the title is, Rural Residents More Likely to Own Homes than urban residents, right? If owning a home is the American dream, rural Americans are more likely to achieve it. It says rural areas have higher home ownership rates than in urban areas, 81.1% compared to 59.8%. So you have 81% to 60% home ownership in rural areas versus in urban areas. So you have higher land ownership in rural areas than you do in cities well the cities tend to go blue and the rural areas tend to go red so i don't know did the founders have something in mind when they only had white landowning men voting in elections maybe i'm not sure i just happened to pull this up i didn't start running charts and spreadsheets on this i just thought it would be interesting to show you that in these red areas that we see on the maps, there's more landowners than there are in the blue areas that we see on the maps. And if somebody wanted to do a study on this, if there's an actuary out there, if there's someone like Wide Awake Jim who loves to break out the spreadsheets and figure this stuff out, I'm sure you can show correlations between homeowners voting red and non-homeowners voting blue. I'll just give you some additional data in case you want to dig around. It says data from the five-year American community survey shows that the same pattern holds in all four regions. The largest difference is in the Northeast, where the home ownership rate is 83.8% in rural areas and 58.2% in urban areas. So it's basically 84% to 58%. It says home ownership rates increase as the proportion of the population in rural areas increases. Rates are higher both in completely rural and mostly rural counties than in mostly urban counties. All right, so just a little bit of data there. You have red areas with higher home ownership, and you have the founders saying that only land-owning men could vote, right? Only white landowning men can vote. And if you think about black voters today, it's only 13% actually vote red, 87% vote blue. So if you go back to the founding and you took all of the black voters out today and all the non-landowners out today, you would probably be uh, winning elections because you would remove a large portion of the urban area, just taking out black voters and taking out non-landowning voters. Then if you took out the women voters, uh, which tend to vote blue in urban areas, boom, there you go. You would have the country that you wanted back of the founding. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying I agree with that. I don't want anyone to turn around and say I'm a racist, I'm a sexist, I'm a thisist, a thatist. I'm just giving you the facts. Stop pretending that you live in something, in a system, in a government that you don't live in. You don't live in that anymore. So it doesn't even make any sense, folks. Now, I pulled this up. This is from redfin.com. This is published in July 2016. The title is, Republicans are more likely to own homes and other true cliches. It says, liberals like cities. Conservatives like the country. Liberals want 
ethnically diverse neighborhoods. Conservatives want neighbors who share the same religious faith. Political cliches, perhaps, but research has shown these stereotypes are grounded in truth. Studies show an America divided by not just politics, income, and race, but by place, too. Cleveland and Philadelphia, where Republicans and Democrats will gather this week and next to rally around their presidential candidates, are no exception. The political uh, battlegrounds of Ohio and Pennsylvania have an evenly divided electorate, meaning national candidates have to campaign with a fury to secure even a razor-thin lead. But that doesn't mean Republicans and Democrats in those states are throwing block parties together. And then it talks about blue downtowns, red suburbs. The Republican convention is being held in downtown Cleveland, which is deeply blue with Democrat voters, using data from Clarity, a Democrat analytics firm that scores zip codes according to the political leanings of their electorates. It's easy to see the region getting redder with conservative voters the further one gets from the city so this goes to tell you now again if you go look inside of those cities you're going to find more non-land-owning folks you're going to find uh women you're going to find more black americans right well if you took those out of the equation uh as far as voters are concerned and went back to what our founding was well then you wouldn't have the problem that you find folks are addressing see this is why i generally don't read or comment on uh, tweets i mean mike did a good job he's pointing out the truth but then i read all the comments under there and people are fighting about something that cannot be solved it cannot be solved but the point of this is to tell you again i'm just trying to drill this into your skull you don't live in the founding of the country all right this is just one example folks all right and let me just show you this just to sum up this thing right here and get it over with this is at uh uh, was it FermanCenter.org, the stoop? It says snapshot of home ownership in New York City. So if you take New York City, for example, it says in 2018, the New York City home ownership rate was 33%. Only 33% own homes in New York City, right? So you'd be able to take 67% of New York City out of the voting right out of new york city 67 percent gone the non-homeowning group but it varied by borough the homeownership rate in staten island was 69 percent far closer to the national rate 64 percent than any other borough the bronx had the lowest homeownership rate at 18 percent right so 82 percent of the people would not be allowed to vote there just on the fact that they didn't own homes out of the other eight 18%, you would be taking out black Americans, you'd be taking out women, you would have a very low voting rate. So therefore, the cities would actually no longer control the rural areas as far as legislators go. Do you see how that works? So do you understand now I put a lot of time into this uh, explaining it, not a lot of time doing the research. I already knew what I was going to find. And again, I'm not running numbers and charts. I'm just showing you that the problem that you want to complain about cannot be fixed. The system has changed. It's changed over the last almost 200 years. So nothing is going to change. The system will only get worse if you're someone who wants to win elections and live in a rural area or a suburb and you want to beat the cities. That's just not going to happen. 
happen. The numbers aren't there. It won't occur. So you can't win the elections through voting. You can't win by voting harder. So you understand now, that's a major one. The country you live in today is not the country you believe it is. It's not the system you believe it is. It's not the founding. You will not win elections. And so enough on that, folks. When I get back, I'm going to show you another major change in our country's history. It actually also has to do with elections. And then you're going to understand why half of the legislative branch, the senators, are who they are. Because the system we have today and how we elect them is not the system we had during the founding of this country. Everything in this country has been dismantled, has been replaced. On the big picture, on the macro level, we will eventually prove that technocracy runs the entire country. The culture of technocracy has permeated this country american culture is gone it does not exist there is really no culture under technocracy it is a culture that is driven by science and technology and that's how decisions will be made not real science folks fake science but let me show you how we change the way we vote for senators when we get back just another example of why the country you live in today is not the country that you believe we live in i'll be right back this is dust to go with the dust and gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Folks, this is not in any way designed to black pill you or to drive you into deep, dark depression. It's designed to wake you up, make you understand that you are living in an illusion, an illusion in your own mind. It's illusion of choice when you go out and vote. It's all rigged. It's rigged from day one. It's rigged down to the deepest levels, folks. I mean, first off, I brought this up, but if you were in Pennsylvania and your choice was Oz or Fetterman, that's rigged because you don't want either of them. Neither of them are going to represent your interest. Neither of them are wonderful, fantastic men and patriots. All right. So it's rigged at that level. Then can they rig the voting machine? Sure, they could, folks. They don't even need to rig the voting machines. How do you find out who won an election? Some blue check mark on Twitter tells you that Fetterman or Oz won the election? What, some dude on TV, Tucker Carlson or Anderson Cooper, is going to tell you that Fetterman won the election? They can just have those guys say the person won the election, and as far as you're concerned, you're looking at a bar graph, a chart on TV news, which is government propaganda telling you that someone won the election. So they don't even need to rig the polls. They don't need to rig the machines. When you go into the school to vote... All right. At least the last time I was involved with local elections, we had our Republican committee cut up 
at the three or four different schools you could vote at. I can't, it was a while ago, 15 years ago. And so what we would do is we would check the numbers with the Democrat Party, and then we call those into our candidates' headquarters, which was down at a bar, you know, a pizza place in a bar. We'd say, oh, Veronica won this district here. And that, that's how it worked, right? So everything could be rigged at that level. There is no system. There's no group of honest brokers that sits there and counts the votes. The electronic machines could be rigged the whole thing's rigged but it's rigged by the two people that you have uh, a choice to elect those people are not the best people on the planet so it's rigged at that level and then we know the system was rigged when they started changing the rules shortly after the so-called founding of the country so it was rigged all the way back then and then i just gave you examples with that history.com article that the system was changed just in that article 19 times it changed and there's a lot more than that throughout history with voting across federal rules state rules everything else it's changed hundreds of times so you're not voting in the system that existed in the founding that you keep referencing that system is gone long gone doesn't exist you won't undo it you know what the solution is break away civilization and we set up new rules if we want to sit there and base it on the articles of confederation or on the constitution and the bill of rights then that's a conversation and a debate that can be had if we want to sit there and plug the holes and fix the mistakes because the constitution was not perfect as everyone thinks and people say well it's a better system than any other system in the history of the world really you've studied every system in the history of the world no i'm sure you haven't you haven't even studied this system based on what it was in the founding or you would have realized that we are not operating based on that system so it can't be the greatest system in the history of the world if it's not the system that you're claiming it is it's not the system of the founding not even close so which system are you defending the system of the founding that allowed the changes to be made to bring us to this system or are you defending this system that now you're claiming is rigged and you can't win elections which system are you defending in the lineage of systems over the last 250 years i don't even know i'm confused i feel like dr seuss just having to sit there and explain that let's talk about u.s senators folks I'm over at cliffnotes.com, cliffsnotes.com. How were U.S. senators originally chosen? Senators of the United States Congress were originally chosen by state legislatures. Citizens would not vote for their state legislatures. I mean, citizens would vote for their state legislatures, and those legislatures, legislators would vote a man into the U.S. Senate. All right, let's step back for a minute. How do we do it today? How do we do it today? Well, you have two senators that represent your state. There's a hundred senators in the United States Senate, right? So, those senators have a six-year term. Okay, so it's Dustin Gold running against Maria Albanese for the junior senator seat. That means the senior senator is sitting right now. Maybe he's in the middle of a term. He's three years in. But now I'm running against Maria Albanese. Well, I create a campaign committee. She creates a campaign committee. Let's say she's the uh, Republican and I am the nobody party. I'm the nobody party because there's no... Uh, 
uh, Democrat Party in this race. And so the two of us run head-to-head, and everyone goes to the polls from the whole entire state, and they are voting for either Maria or Dustin. Well, that's not how it worked, folks. That's not how it worked. In the founding of our country, senators of the United States Congress were originally chosen by state legislatures. Citizens would vote for their state legislators, as you currently do, and those legislators would vote a man into the U.S. Senate. Now, there was a reason for this, folks. There was a reason for this, and if this doesn't explain it, I will explain it to you. It says... At the beginning of the 20th century, though many states had begun to use the popular vote to elect U.S. senators, but it wasn't a direct election. The election appeared on ballots as a referendum, and the results of that referendum were then confirmed by the state legislature. Hear that? At the beginning of the 20th century, though many states had begun to use the popular vote to elect U.S. senators, but it wasn't a direct election. The election appeared on ballots as a referendum, and the results of that referendum were then confirmed by the state legislature. So the state legislature still had control. It says in 1913, however, the 17th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution standardized the popular election of senators throughout the entire country. The 17th Amendment also gave a state's acting governor the power to appoint someone to the U.S. Senate in the event of a vacancy, like if somebody died or had to leave because, unfortunately, that politician had brain cancer. I'm so sad for them. But it says 1913. Now, remember that. That's a very important year, 1913. We're going to get to some other changes throughout our country's history where I'm going to show you you're not in the system that you believe you're in. So right there, 1913, 17th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution standardized the popular election of senators, okay, throughout the entire country. So it went from... You electing your state legislator, he goes to the state legislature, they then vote out of their ranks for a senator. Then to the popular vote where Maria and Dustin run head to head. The other way it would have worked is Maria and Dustin become legislators uh, from our respective districts in the state. And then if we want to run, we're trying to run amongst the other legislators. It says, because this amendment gives a single individual the power to appoint a U.S. senator, many states' rights advocates have called for repeal of the 17th Amendment. They argued that this gubernatorial power bypasses the democratic process. They're talking about the ability for the governor to select a senator in the case of a vacancy. It says, although it's easy to see how such power could be misused, consider the recent scandal involving Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. Well, it's not so recent anymore. It says it can be wielded to create change for the better. For example, five of the first six women to serve in the U.S. Senate were appointed to that position by their state governors. Well, it can be wielded to create change for the better. So selecting five of the first six women uh, at the hands of one governor made things better, like just having a woman as a senator makes things I just don't understand that. That's just total corruption. But let's make the point here. I want to explain this to you. The reason why the system was designed that it was 
was back when the country was in its founding and it was small. You had these districts that elected their state legislator. They were very small. So generally, people knew who their state legislator was. Like, hey, Bob, you'd see him down at the general store. Well, then Bob goes to the legislature with all the other state legislators. And amongst all the Bobs, they select one of themselves to go there. Now, if Bob makes a bad choice, you're Bob. You people show up at his house with a pitchfork and a torch, and you tell him to get the other Bob out of the Senate. He's a piece of trash, right? So you were more accountable. You That was a representative form of government. You elected the state legislator on a very small level, in a very small district, and then you could burn his house down if he sent a scumbag to represent you in Washington. Well, now you're voting for a senator head on some guy who runs TV ads that you've never met in your entire life the other reason is it generally created remember when we used to talk about term limits on the conservative side we don't do that anymore but we talked about term limits well one of the reasons why they did this was because it almost automatically put term limits into place why because you had a bunch of state legislators who all were power hungry little freaks and they were going to let bob go serve one term in the senate and then bob you're done it's my turn So therefore, boom, they were out of there. They didn't end up sitting in the Senate for 112 years like they do today. You see, if you go back to the founding, there were some rules that were created that actually made a hell of a lot of sense. This way... um, You could get that person thrown out of there real fast if he did a bad job. The state legislators were able to repeal him and basically pull him out of there. And so it was a much better system. Now you get a senator in there. He's entrenched. He's got lobbyists, all kinds of corporate money behind him. That guy is not leaving because they don't invest $10 million into somebody's campaign unless they're seating him there for life. So you understand that now? There is another major change in the history of our country on how we select half of the legislative branch completely changed from the founding rules are completely changed it changed our entire system and yet you still want to believe that you live in the founding we don't these are the things that most people don't understand so you understand that we now allowed a lot more people to vote in the founding of our country it was roughly two and a half million people Okay, and only 500,000 of them were actually allowed to vote. 500,000. 20% of the actual population was allowed to vote. So now, of the voting population, basically 100% minus felons, say 99% are allowed to vote. So you ask yourself how that changed, why it's so much different. Well, look at what we did. Now you want to know how you select senators? Look what happened. It's not the same system. So again, if you say we're the greatest system that ever existed, the greatest form of government that ever existed, which form of government are you talking about? The form of government in 1776, 1780, 1810, 1820, 1845? 
1912. I mean, which form of government are you talking about? Because we are not the same form of government that we were when this country was founded. When I get back, wait until you see another major change in the history of the United States that made us not the country that you believe we are actually living in. Ladies and gentlemen, when I get back, I'll lift the veil on another major change. I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard, and this is pain.tv slash gold. This episode is called Burst Your Bubbles. Now, folks, I'm not breaking your balls here. I'm just trying to show you these are just things i learned throughout the years really stuff we don't focus on in the public indoctrination center otherwise they teach you but they teach you with a spin on it and then you don't really understand the effects it has in the country they tell you that it brings more freedom then you end up in the system you're in and you're trying to sit here and wonder why we are in the system that we're in and it's all explained you can figure it all out folks i mean here let's look at another major change in the history of our country and this is going to actually play in later to what we're researching on the history of technocracy so i figured i'd put this in here now there's hundreds of these thousands of these examples of major changes throughout the history of our country that changed our system Uh, from what we were founded on into what it is today. And this is why you are actually a refugee living within what I call the world's truck stop bathroom. Yeah, you're the world's truck stop bathroom, all right? People are allowed to just walk in, uh, take a leak, uh, spill their urine all over the seat, not even wipe it and clean it up. I don't know, take a dump on the bathroom floor. Nobody cares. Walk over, wash your hands, spit a loogie on the mirror, rip the sink off the wall and throw it across the bathroom, and then walk out into the uh, truck stop, grab yourself a bag of Cheetos, don't even pay for them, walk right out the front door, give the finger to the cashier, walk over, tap off the rest of the gas into your car and drive off without paying. Why? Because we're the world's truck stop bathroom. That's what we've become. We are quickly coming a uh, becoming a giant Amazon trading hub. That's pretty much all we are at this point, folks. What's American culture at this point? I don't know. For a while, it was baseball, hot dogs, and beer. But that kind of uh, took a turn for the worse during COVID land, the high school theater production. Yeah, some people are back at games, but you don't really see it as the culture anymore. We really don't have a culture. When I grew up, uh, I remember, and I'm 41, I grew up in and around New Haven, Connecticut. My dad was a cop, so he hung out with the Irish cops and the Polish cops and the Italian cops and the German cops. And I remember as a kid going to huge St. Patrick's Day parades with my dad to celebrate his Irish cop buddies. And we would go to the Columbus Day parade to celebrate his Italian cop buddies. And he would go shoot darts at the Polish club and we'd 
hang out with his Polish cop buddies. We go over to the German club and hang out with them and shoot darts. So what we did is we celebrated each other's heritages under the banner of the American flag. And that was kind of part of our culture. It was part of our culture. And so we don't really have much of that anymore. Now, let's go back to 1913. I showed you that we changed the rules on how we selected senators in 1913. Now, here's an interesting one. We used to talk about this on the Republican side of the aisle. Nobody talks about this anymore. This is the Senate passes the Federal Reserve Act. And this is December 23, 1913. This is at Senate.gov. This is the official story right here, folks. And it says, it says here, Hold on one second. I'm just taking a note down, folks. It says, it took many months and nearly straight party line voting. But on December 23rd, 1913, it's interesting, the day before Christmas Eve, while no one was paying attention, the Senate passed and President Woodrow Wilson signed the Federal Reserve Act. The need for a central bank became painfully evident during the financial panic of 1907 when the stock market collapsed banks failed and credit evaporated well let's take a minute here woodrow wilson one of the great presidents folks i'm kidding he's going to come up because uh he's tied into some of our folks coming out of the progressive movement involved with technocracy and eugenics so woodrow wilson will be getting into soon but see what led to the passage of the federal reserve what was it folks the financial panic of 1907 now a lot of the technocrats grew out of the panic of 1893 we're going to get into that with edward bellamy and then bellamy inspiring thorsten veblen and thorsten veblen inspiring folks like howard scott and then obviously technocracy and the new deal grew right out of the great depression so out of 1907 the financial panic it says when the stock market collapsed banks failed and credit evaporated well that set the stage for the central bank now the central bank was defeated a couple times in our history in this country before this occurred but the federal reserve since 1913 has stayed in place folks it's cemented into history completely changed our country so we are not the same country that we were founded on but as you can see today what do we have going on folks we have a financial crisis and what are these guys trying to roll in universal basic income and central bank digital currency so don't think for a second that the financial panic of 1907 was not an orchestrated problem just like the financial crisis of today is an orchestrated problem another thing that i found interesting i'll just say this as i was researching history you had the spanish flu uh world war ii and really you had world war one then the spanish flu then the great depression then world war ii all packed in pretty close together today you have the financial crisis covid land the high school theater production ukraine russia war you see how they're packing all these things in together it's like they come in trifectas folks goes on to say because the federal government lacked the tools to respond it had to depend on private bankers such as jp morgan 
to provide an infusion of capital to sustain the banking system, to correct the problem of an, quote, inelastic currency, end quote, Congress created a National Monetary Commission chaired by Rhode Island Republican Senator Nelson Aldrich. Aldrich proposed a system that would be run by private bankers who would act as federal agents. Progressives admittedly opposed, uh, adamantly opposed what they called a surrender to the, quote, money trust, end quote, and blocked its passage. Now, you'll see the progressives actually ended up joining in with this effort as well folks the bankers sit behind also the socialists the communists the progressives the marxists and eventually the fascists they also sit behind the so-called conservatives so you'll see the theme as we move forward from history to future that the bankers are always behind everyone now this is eerily similar to the scheme going on that i talked about yesterday in sri lanka the orchestrated economic collapse of sri lanka what happens well the wef and the bankers are all sitting on the sidelines going hey we have a new system it's called circular monetary system a circular economy well folks that was written up over 100 years ago, as we showed you, in technocracy. It's not new. They've just been working on it, refining it, and are ready to deploy it. See, it's a problem-reaction-solution loop. All right, it says, in 1912, Democrats won the White House and majorities in both houses of Congress. Even before his inauguration, President-elect Woodrow Wilson began encouraging congressional leaders to enact banking and currency reform. In March 1913, the Democratic Senate created its first banking and currency committee, chaired by Oklahoma Senator Robert D. Owen. The Housing Banking Committee was chaired by Virginia Representative and Future Senator Carter Glass. Now, what's interesting is the actual lead-up to this, what took place on Jekyll Island, involved a guy who Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast, is currently uh, researching. His name was Vanderlip. And Vanderlip was also a big friend of Howard Scott and was helping to promote technocracy. So this banker, Vanderlip, was sitting there on the committee setting up the Federal Reserve, and he was also involved with the technocrats who grew out of the socialist, communist, Marxist, uh, and fascist. Uh, and, and Vanderlip was also a friend with Rexford Tugwell that I talked to you about. Rexford Tugwell was a big fan of the Soviet Union and Benito Mussolini. So, folks, as you can see, it's just one giant web of craziness, and we're going to be slowly dissecting this over the next couple of dozen episodes. It goes on to say, in June, President Wilson formally proposed creation of a government-run Federal Reserve System. The House took up the issue first and passed a bill in September, after which the Senate Banking Committee began holding hearings. So, you see what's going on here? I'm going to finish this. It's this important stuff, uh, but you see what's happening here, folks? You see how the country that we were founded on is not the country that we live in today so you have to stop fooling yourselves all right the, the truth is out there all this stuff is available they don't hide it they're transparent about this it's all there so the illusion that you live in is actually an illusion you're creating in your own mind 
we hang up the american flag and we wave it i don't know what it represents anymore I know some of us have had relatives who have gone off to war. Maybe they were injured. Maybe they were died. Maybe they were heroes that came home, but buddy as theirs were, were injured or killed. But what were they fighting for? I mean, if I start dismantling World War II for you, I already showed you that as soon as it ended, our country brought Nazi scientists and engineers back here to run government departments and projects. I mean, so at the end of the day, what made us better than what the Nazis were doing? We run MK Ultra, which is still alive and well today, breaking people's minds with LSD, killing people. I mean, murdering people and mind control torture experiments. What makes us different than them? So when we're hanging the flag, I don't know what it represents. I really don't. I'm someone who used to have a big American flag, but it got to the point where I just don't know what it represents. It's obviously not the country that I live in, and the country that it represents is long gone. So that would be the equivalent of me hanging up a flag on my porch for the Roman Empire and pretending that I live under the Roman Empire or hanging a flag of, you know, the Confederacy. Like people still hang the Confederate flag. I don't I don't live under the Confederacy, so I don't know why I'm hanging the flag of the Confederacy. And because there is no more United States of America, at least what we believe it is, I don't understand why I'd be hanging a flag. I'm hanging a flag of the land of unicorns rainbows and cotton candy it just doesn't exist so who am i fooling by hanging the flag i'm fooling myself i'm not going to sit here and live in fictitious land i need to understand what it is that i'm actually living under because i sure as hell don't agree with it and now i have to figure out how to thrive in it not just survive in it or if it's realistic to be able to escape it, to be able to figure out how to get enough cash together before they take everything from us so that I can get the hell out of here and get to somewhere else that's safe. Probably a piece of land here. As I told you, I'm going to have probably something set up in Poland and something set up over here. I'd like to have our baby grow up back and forth between those two cultures. But I'm not going to live here in fictitious land and pretend that I'm in something that I'm not, folks. And at the end of the day, we, we are not fighting to get anything back because look at all the stuff we talked about with voting rights. Are you going to run out there and start telling your wife she can't vote? Start telling your black neighbor that they can't vote? Start telling immigrants that are in your neighborhoods or your town that they can't vote? Are you going to start telling Native Americans at their reservations that they can't can't vote no i don't think you're about to do that so instead of living in fictitious land start to say for a second well i can see where all the problems came from this isn't the country that i live in it's not the one that i thought i lived in and i'm going to make plans to basically get somewhere where i can isolate myself from this system because there is no such thing as restoring america america has changed hands so many times in the last 250 years it's not the america that we thought it was, ladies and gentlemen. You know what it is at this point? America is the 10-year-old boy whose crazy parents bring to the Boston Children's Hospital, give him hormones, and have his genitals removed. That's what America is. It's not the same thing anymore. It's not little Billy. It's now Sheila. That is the point. You don't live in the America of George Washington.
All right, when I get back, let me finish this up on the Federal Reserve System because then I need to show you the next part, the next thing, the biggest thing that happened in the history of our country that changed who we are. And no, it's not the New Deal. It's not technocracy. I'm going to show you the system that we put into place, something that you interact with once a year that was not part of the founding of this country. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv ladies and gentlemen welcome back to pain.tv slash gold my name is dustin gold and you are listening to the dustin gold standard folks all right as dan bongino or mark levin told you this folks have they told you this i mean yes you've heard the mention federal reserve and stuff but if they told you that it completely changed our country we're not in the same country i don't think so and i spent many years listening to those guys all right let's continue here at senate.gov it says by december the senate was debating and voting on its version of the bill when all of the senate republicans voted for a substitute measure senate democrats opted to make the banking and currency bill a quote party question end quote at the time the democrat conference had a quote binding caucus end quote rule by which whenever two-thirds of the conference voted in favor of a bill all of its members agreed to support it and not to offer amendments on the floor the senate therefore passed the federal reserve act by an almost party line vote the bill then went to a conference committee which forged the necessary compromises and reported it back on december 22nd when it was accepted by the house on december 23rd 1913 the senate adopted the conference report by a vote of 43 to 25 with every democrat present voting for the measure and all but four republicans voting against it 27 senators were paired or chose not to vote many senators immediately rushed to the union station to catch trains home for the holidays while the chief sponsors went to the white house president wilson signed the glass owens act at 6 p.m he used four pens then gave one to each of the leading sponsors wilson commented that he was not accustomed to using a series of pens why is that folks because the pen is mightier than the sword. That's not in the article. I just said that, folks. The pen is mightier than the sword. As Howard Scott has said before, they did not need you, the person, the average Joe out there, to cast one ballot, nor would you need anyone to fire one shot to drive technocracy into action. 
here in the United States, folks. They could do it through the scientists, engineers, and the bureaucrats, right? So nobody voted for technocracy. They just voted to put the Federal Reserve into place, which we'll find out later was tied into technocracy. It goes on to say, the Democratic whip Senator Jay Hamilton Lewis of Illinois responded, quote, the bill itself was made in installments, Mr. President, end quote. Yes, said Wilson, and very slowly. The Oval Office filled with cheers for what became the most lasting legislative accomplishment of the Wilson administration, folks. So there you go. Federal Reserve was put into play in 1913. It's been here ever since folks that's what 109 years so the federal reserve system was not in practice in the united states until 1913 major change in the history of our country so we are not the country that we were founded as so i think by the time this episode is done hopefully if you don't understand this you will now stop thinking that we are living in a country of 250 years ago. That's not the case, folks. I say it all the time. We were, what, a dozen colonies? Two and a half million people, 500,000 had the right to vote. Now we are 3,000 miles wide, 50 states, dozens of territories, almost 1,000 military bases worldwide. We are not the same country. So saving America, saving the republic, I don't even know what that means, folks. We violated the Constitution, if you want to believe in the Constitution. We violated the Constitution so many times in the course of the history of this nation. We are not the same country any longer. All right, here's a big one, folks. One of the most important ones we're going to talk about tonight. No, the most important, I would say. And we're going to pull this right up here because they love to actually brag about it. This is on irs.gov, your favorite agency. They come to you April 15th every year at gunpoint, and they threaten you. And if you don't give them your financials uh, as accurate as possible, you must dot all your I's and cross all your T's and then hand them a check. They will come to you at gunpoint. They will take your home. They will take your vehicles. They will take your bank account. They will take your investments. They will take everything away from you, folks. They will start taking uh, your check if you work for an employer, and they will just take that all away from you. So I really want to look at the history of this because they provide a lot of details, a timeline here. And this will just show you, I mean, they did a great job. I'm going to create one of these with a lot of different problems, reactions, and solutions in this country. But they did this for us on taxes right here at irs.gov. It says, seven, uh, 1765 to 1776, taxes and revolution. Taxation without representation was the seed of the American Revolution. Colonists rebelled against Britain's punitive taxes because they had no voice in Parliament. On July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence severed ties with England. The Revolutionary War ended in 1783, and a new nation was born it's funny because when i was a kid uh in school i would always question my history teachers and say well if we fought to have our freedom from paying the t-tax why do we have the irs now teachers didn't like that they couldn't answer that question folks 
It says here 1787 to 1789, evolution of taxation. On February 21st, 1787, Congress approved a constitutional convention to revise the Articles of Confederation. The Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excesses to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. On September 2nd, 1789, Congress established the Department of the Treasury and appointed Alexander Hamilton as the first secretary. Yep, he wanted a Federal Reserve, folks. So, There you go, right there. 1787, Congress approves a constitutional convention to revise the Articles of Confederation. And in there, they give themselves the ability to uh, lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excesses to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. They did not tax income back then, folks. They generally made the money to fund the federal government through import and export tariffs okay just so you know that's the history of the country that used to be the country that you believe you still live in but you don't you don't it's not the same country all right it says 1794 the whiskey rebellion 1794 saw the first outright challenge to the U.S. government's revenue laws when a federal court summoned 75 distilleries in western Pennsylvania to appear in court and explain why they shouldn't be arrested for whiskey tax evasion. The Whiskey Rebellion set up a clash between citizens and federal officers. The federal government prevailed, but at a cost of $1.5 million to American taxpayers. So see, that is 1794. First outright challenge to U.S. government's revenue laws. When a federal court summoned 75 distillers in western Pennsylvania Pennsylvania to appear in court and explain why they shouldn't be arrested for whiskey tax evasion. All right, let's take a look. The War of 1812. This is 1812 to 1817. To pay for the War of 1812, Congress passed new internal taxes on refined sugar, carriages, distillers, and auction sales, and reinstated the Commissioner of the Revenue to collect them. On August 24th, 1814, the British burned the Treasury Building in Washington, D.C. On December 23rd, 1817, Congress repealed these and all remaining internal taxes and abolished the position of the Commissioner of Revenue and all offices to collect them. Now, that was back in the day when we actually closed government departments. Now, oh my God, if you open one, that thing is never going to close folks but there you go 1812 they said hey we can start collecting taxes on sugar carriages distillers and auction sales right how do they pick those folks how do they pick those they just randomly pull those out of a hat and start taxing people and you know what a tax is that is tony soprano and his gang silvio and bobby bacala and christopher and Paulie going out there and basically telling people that own a little general store, we're going to burn your store down unless you start giving us 10% of your action. That's what it is. That's what the government is. Licensed criminals. People that come and extort you. All right, 1836 to 1842, the Treasury gets a new home. Construction began on a new Treasury building in 1836. The first segment opened in 1842. So there they go, building their Treasury. 
1862, Civil War expenses. On July 1st, 1862, President Lincoln signed the second revenue measure of the Civil War into law. This law levied internal taxes and established a permanent internal tax system. Congress established the Office of the Commissioner of Internal Revenue under the Department of the Treasury. On July 17th, 1862, George S. Boutwell became its first commissioner so there you go under the great abraham lincoln and many would argue that the united states if you want to believe it was a constitutional republic died during the civil war folks and so you have lincoln here setting up the internal revenue under the department of treasury in 1862 All right, let's fast forward. We have 1863 to 1864, property seizures and tax refunds. In its first year, 1863, the Office of the Commissioner of Internal Revenue collected $39.1 million. That's how much they stole from people at gunpoint. The Revenue Act of June 30th, 1864, authorized the Commissioner of Internal Revenue to compromise all suits, quote, relating to internal revenue, end quote, to abate outstanding assessments and to refund taxes subject to current regulations that was the revenue act of june 30th 1864 but as you can see we're at irs.gov folks they are proud of this now if i work for the irs i would hang my head in shame i'd probably just go to work and try to hang my let and just just hang low hide out in the shadows i really wouldn't want anybody to know this they put this up there they're proud of this this is how they set up their racketeering system this is how they set up their blackmail arms this is how they come and they harass everyday hardworking American citizens and steal your money, then the money they steal from us isn't even enough to pay for all the garbage that our government buys, all the money they give to people like Elon Musk and Peter Thiel to build prison planet technology around us. No, that's debt that they put on our, not our kids, not our grandkids, not our great-great-grandkids, about 17 greats into the future owe money on the debt that our government has accrued buying garbage. And they talk to us about being financially responsible. All right, ladies and gentlemen, when I get back, let's work our way all the way to 1913. That's where we're going, an important year. So we have 1913 when we changed how we vote for senators, 1913, Federal Reserve Act, and 1913, folks, we set up the income tax. Oh, what a wonderful year. Meanwhile, in 1913, the technocrats were working with the progressives and the eugenicists working on some wonderful plans all the great stuff that we live under today in this country that you believe is the country of george washington which is frankly hilarious ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back seriously i'm laughing this is i'm sitting down here in my studio by myself laughing all right ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Payne.tv slash gold. I am Dustin Gold. And this is the Dustin Gold Standard, ladies and gentlemen. 
All right, so you can see here just inside the IRS, just inside the, uh, the timeline of taxation in this country, you can see how many changes were made. So when we say let's save America, let's restore the republic, what are we talking about? That's really the theme here. It's like, what are we talking about? We have to understand what we're talking about. Otherwise, we're just spouting off nonsense, folks. Complete and total nonsense. All right. 1867, state-of-the-art technology. In February 1867, the Secretary of the Treasury adopted a hydrometer to establish a uniform system to inspect and gauge alcoholic spirits subject to tax. The March 1st, 1867 Revenue Act authorized the Secretary of the Treasury to adopt, procure, and prescribe these and other weighing and gauging instruments to prevent and detect fraud by spirit distillers. So they started engaging technology so they can test the alcohol content in beverages, folks, so they can tax people appropriately. You know why? Because our country would crumble. The Constitutional Republic could not exist without the bean counters having hydrometers to test the alcoholic content in those beverage bottles. Oh, yes, the republic would collapse without this, folks. This is the country that we are cheering on. 1870, personal privacy. Representative, later President James Garfield of Ohio, spearheaded an effort to make tax information private. On April 5th, 1870, IRS Commissioner Delano forbade tax assessors uh, forbid uh, tax assessors from furnishing lists of taxpayers for publication. On July 14th, 1870, Congress passed a Revenue Act stating, quote, no collector shall permit to be published in any manner such income returns or any part thereof except such general statistics, end quote. And folks, if you think that was to protect me or you, you have to be kidding yourself. You know who that was to protect? The politicians. So you didn't see how much money these guys were making from all the uh, handouts they were getting, all the kickbacks they were getting. It was to protect them, not to protect us. I could do an entire show on that, folks. I'm not going to, but clearly you can see the point. Let's not print the uh, personal tax information of people. Yeah, you guys. 1913, first federal income tax. On February 25th, 1913, the 16th Amendment officially became part of the Constitution, granting Congress constitutional authority to levy taxes on corporate and individual income. The Bureau of Internal Revenue established a personal income tax division and correspondence unit to answer a flood of questions about its enforcement and a special division with general counsel to prepare opinions interpreting internal revenue laws. So there you go. 16th Amendment, 1913, right? In the same year as the Federal Reserve, the same year as how we changed how we elect senators, they set up the Internal Revenue, uh, established a personal income tax division. This was basically the cementing in of the IRS and the income tax. And of course, Woodrow Wilson, the fine progressive tied into eugenicists and technocrats, set it up under the guise that they were only going to tax the 1%. And of course, the 
the stupid 99% as we always are, I'm including myself, cheer that on and say, let's go get the rich guys. The rich guys are the ones who actually created the laws. That's how dumb we are. We fall for the trap. So they set you up and then based on your own personal resentment and greed, they get you to cheer on taxing the 1%, the guys who write the bills. And then eventually what happens? It switches over from those guys who didn't pay any taxes anyway because they use accountants to get around the laws that they actually write. And it eventually turns into a giant tax on the middle class for many, 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 many decades that shrinks the middle class because the middle class subsidizes the poor and the wealthy. See how that works, folks? And because of our own greed and our own resentment, towards these uh, wealthy people who stole from us to begin with, which is how they got wealthy, we then cheer on our own demise. Let's just keep going with this because I'm showing you all the changes that occurred just inside the IRS, the history of taxing the living crap out of us. And then we're cheering on this country or we're saying we don't understand what went wrong or, oh, we need the Republicans to get the majority so that we can take this back and set it under the Constitution. We have to take back from the democrats the liberals the left whatever it may be and then you have people from the liberal end saying the republicans are fascists and they abuse the constitution when no one actually realizes that we're not under that system anymore there's nothing to take back the system has been completely changed it is nothing like what it was it's like taking a grape and then tomorrow it's an elephant and you're saying why isn't the elephant doing what i say why doesn't it taste good when i bite it well because it's no longer a grape it's no longer a grape 1914 form 1040 on january 5th 1914 the treasury department unveiled the four-page form including instructions for the new income tax the form was numbered 1040 in the ordinary stream of numbering forms in sequential order in the first year no money was to be returned for the for, uh, with the forms instead each taxpayer's calculations were verified by field agents who sent out bills on june 1st tax payments were due by june 30th Let's see, 1917, public awareness. In 1917, the Internal Revenue Bureau launched a special nationwide public education program to help citizens understand the new tax burden. The campaign tried to popularize war taxes by emphasizing the needs of the country and appealing to national pride and patriotism. Quote, four Minutemen, end quote, fanned out across the nation, preaching the importance of paying taxes promptly and fully. Yeah, using patriotism to propagandize their extortion racket. 1919, Prohibition. Congress passed the National Prohibition Enforcement Act on October 27, 1919. It prohibited the manufacture, sale, and use of intoxicating beverages. It also designated the Bureau of Internal Revenue as the enforcement agency. The Bureau hired and trained hundreds of prohibition agents to enforce the law and created a new intelligence unit to uncover corrupt prohibition agents and bootleggers. Oh, an intelligence agency. Underneath the irs to come hunt down the people that were selling moonshine folks oh that would be the end of the republic if the moonshiners sold alcohol 
1930. Bureau of Internal Revenue gets new home. On June 1st, 1930, the main section of the new Internal Revenue building opened, 16 months ahead of schedule, and with a total construction cost of just over $6 million. Oh, Trump must have been alive back then, and he built it. They were ahead of schedule. Folks, we built the Internal Revenue building ahead of schedule, 16 months ahead of schedule, under budget, $6 million, so great, Internal Revenue Service, get the vaccine, beautiful vaccine, so great, wonderful, the worst vaccine, the best vaccine, it's a great vaccine, it's a deadly vaccine, it will make you live longer, so incredible, we love it, folks, love the vaccine, love the Internal Revenue Service, great patriots, great patriots, men and men, fantastic people, it goes on to say, in addition to a state-of-the-art fire alarm system, it contained 1,400 telephones and a synchronized system of 861 clocks, the largest system of its kind at the time. Oh, damn it. They had put in a state-of-the-art alarm system, folks, and 1,400 telephones. Was it an alarm system to stop you and I from getting in there? No, it was a fire alarm system. So, too bad that uh, they put that in, folks. Uh, 1931, Al Capone. This is when you start to make the IRS look like good people because they're chasing down the bad people. Al Capone, American gangster Alphonse Al Capone attained fame during Prohibition by raking in millions of dollars through bootlegging and other illicit activities. I love him. In 1931, an IRS intelligence unit investigation led to his indictment on a federal income tax evasion and violations of the Volstead act he pled guilty was convicted and sentenced to 11 years in federal prison a fifty thousand dollar fine and ordered to pay two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars plus interest on back taxes oh the good old irs they took down al capone folks 1935 payroll withholding do you see how many changes have occurred just in how we tax our citizens going back to old 1776 folks and somehow we want to believe we live in the same country and everything is screwed up just because it's in the hands of the wrong democrats or the wrong republicans as if any of those people running for office, if Oz beat Fetterman, would Oz be undoing all this, fixing it? Would he be weeding out technocracy? Would he be taking away all the money from the government departments, the military, the DOD that are doing experiments on people, Frankenstein technology, transhumanist experiments? No. No, he would not be doing that. So why even go out there and vote? What are you voting for? What do you want done? You should want nothing done i want everything undone but i will settle for nothing to get done because as you can see all these people do is horrible things that just stomp on your freedom and your liberty and your human autonomy your prosperity your ability to thrive in this system that's all they do that's all they do but yet you want them to do things you say congress is screeched to a halt they're not getting anything done when they do things they make things worse all right 1935 payroll withholding 
On August 14, 1935, Franklin D. Roosevelt signed the Social Security Act. Employees originally paid 1% of the first $3,000 of their salaries to finance the benefits. The law required a new system of tax withholding, which the Bureau of Internal Revenue had to collect and turn over to the Social Security Trust Fund. It also created an unemployment compensation program and laid the foundation for modern payroll withholding, right? Where they steal your money every week when you get your check. That was FDR. He put that into place. He also put in the Social Security Trust Fund, which there is no trust fund. That was bankrupt. God, there's a speech from Ronald Reagan from 1964 telling you that it was bankrupt, what, 10, 15, 20 years before that. It was just a basket of IOUs. And then they put the Social Security system into place which tagged you with a social security number which is so weird that this happened uh being passed in 1935 because two years earlier technocracy incorporated tied to the brain trust which was fdr's group of people that helped create the new deal where social security came out of fdr's brain trust was involved with technocracy inc that came up with the idea of assigning every man woman and child in the united states a number a number given to them by the state so they could be tagged and bagged and traced and tracked oh yeah so that came out of the technocracy and fdr put it into play but don't worry folks we're living in the same country founded by the great george washington do you see the point of all this i'm just showing you this illusion that you're living in but it's an illusion in your own mind because the information is readily available this is publicly sourced information no one is hiding this from you you might have read it you're just not understanding it and grasping it because they want you to live in the illusion you're walking around in a matrix right now in a matrix that's actually technocracy with this illusion of if you're on the right you want to believe it's a corrupt republic that you can fix if you're on the left i don't know you believe that it's some socialist utopia you want to create who knows what it is but everyone is living in a simulation in their own mind you are creating an illusion you're walking around in a live action role play high school theater production choose your own adventure land it's not the case the case is what we're living in is a full-blown technocracy it's a full-blown total control system we just want to believe it's something other than that ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back to finish up this irs timeline my name is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. All right, let's zip through the rest of these folks. Again, this is really good stuff. I mean, 
And I'm kind of use this episode as a way to show you that we're not living in the country that we think we're living in. We're not living under the system we think we're living in. And as we go further into the history of technocracy and tie this into eugenics, and we show you how all of these things came about, the problems that the elites created, the reactions they provoked out of us, and the solutions that they offered us have driven us further and further and further into the technocratic culture that we are living under now. And then as Wide Awake Jim starts to show you more of what is coming out of the international organizations funded by the United States and how they control everyone within the system, you're going to have to understand this because you're going to have to accept that we do not live in the system you believe we live in. Because we're going to show you what exactly the system is that we are living under. And so this this is easy. If you can't accept that the country has changed with how we vote, how we pick senators, the Federal Reserve, the IRS, stuff of that nature, very simple things. And I show you how our country has changed from the George Washington America to the today America, then you're not going to be able to grasp what has happened under technocracy eugenics, socialism, progressivism, Marxism, communism, fascism, and all these other elements that make up the technocratic system that we live under now. So this is just kind of just to get you going, just to get your juices flowing, just to get you in a creative mode where you can hopefully step outside of your comfort zone. You know, we don't want to like pierce your normalcy bias, but you're going to have to be willing to step outside that box in order to comprehend what's really going on. But once you're fully woke to this, then we can start to talk about real solutions. You know, once you go to AA and you admit you're an alcoholic or NA and admit you're a drug addict, then you could start your road to recovery. And once you get through those initial 12 steps, then you can start to figure out what you want to do, where you want to go, how you want to change your life. And that's the same as this. There is no sense in living a lie. There's no sense in living a lie because for me, I'm 41, okay? I waited a while to have my kid, but when my kid is born in the next uh, couple of days here, you know, my job is to now train them for the world that they're going to have to live in. And so we've got to focus on our kids and on our grandkids. And if you're a younger person listening to this show and your parents or grandparents don't know this, introduce them to this material because they should be helping you get through this. Their eyes were blinded over the years and they didn't really realize what was going on now make them realize it and help them figure out how to navigate you through this stuff or if you're a kid just on your own you will realize the technology and trust the science and all this nonsense is a complete and total lie it is a prison planet matrix state-run total control social engineering system all right and so don't get trapped in it work around it Work within the system as much as you have to, but realize the system is not a way of life. All right. It says 1942 victory tax. The Roosevelt administration hoped to pay for at least half the cost of World War II increased taxation. The 1942 Revenue Act sharply increased most existing taxes, introduced the victory tax, a 5% surcharge on all net income over $624 with a post-war credit, lowered exemptions and began provisions for medical and dental expenses and investors' expense deductions. 
Just tax after tax after tax, folks. 1948 to 1950, early tax collection modernization. In 1948, the Bureau introduced punch card equipment to process notices. They also introduced photocopying to reduce the typing workload and relieve a typist and stenographer shortage. In 1949, the IRS introduced electric typewriters, continuous forms, dual roller uh, platens, and posting uh, machines to more efficiently process income tax returns. By 1950, the Bureau introduced computers for tabulation. See right there? That is technocracy. That is technocracy coming in now to taxation. So once you start to introduce the technology, you start to replace humans with machines to be able to process more paperwork to collect more taxes. That is what I'm talking about, where technocracy becomes part of the culture. So now they rely on the machines to harass more Americans. They can expand the footprint. They can harass more people because they're using technology. That is where technocracy creeps in. And then it's socially engineered. See, that's a generation of people that grow up working in there that now get introduced to the machines, and then the next generation comes in, the machines are there. That's so social engineering the next group the next generation is already growing up inside of the machines now the machines just tax people and collect taxes 1953 internal revenue service created in 1952 president harry s truman called for a comprehensive reorganization of the bureau of internal revenue the agency officially became the internal revenue service on july 9th 1953 they made it even bigger badder and bolder folks 1950 to present, it says taxpayer communication and support. During the 1950s, the service primarily interacted with taxpayers through written and print communication using the U.S. Postal Service and walk-in offices. Walk-in offices or tax assistance centers continue to help taxpayers today <laughs> is that hilarious or what they continue to help you hi we're robbing you at gunpoint we will throw you in prison and take all your property if you don't give us our vig our cut our commish on uh, your labor the sweat of your brow but we're here to help you 1953 to 1959 public outreach in 1953 the irs began the teaching taxes program by mailing a tax kit with a teaching text in large copies of tax return forms and regular return forms to 30,000 junior and senior high school principals by 1959 the irs offered public service announcements to television and radio stations throughout the entire year not just during filing season right so now they start going in they're going to train the kids that's it that's how you engineer this stuff into society they start with the kids let's send this out to the kids give it to the principals and have them go in and teach the kids you live in america you will be taxed for your existence that's how it works folks welcome to america land of the free home of the brave where are you guys speaking up? We're not free, and where are the brave, folks? Most of the brave I saw walking around with N95 COVID masks on during uh, COVID Land, the high school theater production. That's where the brave was. 1959 to 1962. 
IRS modernizes data processing. There you go. More technocracy. In 1959, Congress and the Secretary of Treasury approved IRS plans to install a nationwide automatic data processing system. By January 1962, automated data processing entered full operation, processing up to 680,000 characters per second. 1961, President Kennedy visits the IRS. On May 1st, 1961, President John F. Kennedy attended the Joint Conference of Regional Commissioners and District Directors of the IRS, the only U.S. president to visit the IRS headquarters. President Kennedy praised the service for pursuing fair taxation in the promotion of national interest. That's a lot of people's hero. Why didn't he shut the IRS down? Uh, 1962, Tingle Table invented. The Tingle Table. I'm sure a lot of senators would have liked to sit on that thing. For over 50 years, Tingle Tables have saved taxpayers millions of dollars by reducing the time it takes IRS employees to sort through individual paper filed returns. In 1962, James Tingle invented the table while working in an IRS service center. Mr. Tingle built the prototype in his backyard. Still in use today, over 15 million tax returns flowed through the tables during the 2019 tax filing season. Think about that. Tingle tables have saved taxpayers millions of dollars by reducing the time it takes IRS employees to sort through individual paper. It saves us millions of dollars from the money they're stealing from you. Hey, listen, we're going to steal your money, but we're going to do it more efficiently, so it's going to save you money. Oh, really? So I don't have to pay you $100 on the blackmail money? No, you're still going to give us 100 but it's going to go a lot longer because uh, we're doing it more. I mean, give me a break, folks. Give me a break. All right. Well, anyway, we've got 1966 Taxpayer Service. This is a toll-free telephone number where you could call up and just talk to them while they rape you. Then you've got 1972 IRS reaches out to more taxpayers. Of course, they're reaching out to tell you that they can help you. We can help steal money from you. Hi, we're the IRS. 1978 Faster, More Accurate Service. Oh, yeah, it's more accurate. We'll steal more money from you, but we're going to be very accurate about it. 1986 Tax Reform Act of 1986. Then we got 1988 Service Design all this other nonsense 1988 taxpayer rights oh we have rights yes while you're being robbed you have rights 1991 electronic filing 1994 irs bolton board system 1996 to 2008 digital daily first presence of the irs on the world wide web oh great that's fantastic 1988 restructuring and reform act of 1998 so i can steal more money from you 2001 to 2007 digital tools for taxpayers right so now you can like go work out all the ways that you can get ripped off i mean this is endless folks there's endless online payments They've got digital tools for tax professionals, IRS student aid tool, IRS goes mobile, taxpayer bill of rights, tax design challenge, online account, irs.gov redesigned, tax cuts and jobs act, IRS social media, new 1040, ooh, a new 1040. 
a criminal investigation sentinel you know what they don't have in here folks oh let's see what this one is though 2019 criminal investigation sentinel in 1919 the treasury secretary asked the irs commissioner to form a criminal investigation unit to go after tax cheats and other criminals 100 years later criminal investigation special agents continue to bring down the most notorious criminals ci remains the only law enforcement agency with the authority to investigate tax crimes and has earned the reputation as the premier financial investigation unit in the world now remember i also showed you the palantir started with cia money via inqtel their venture firm uh started palantir right which is peter thiel's company which was created under the guise of hunting down terrorists by their financial transactions is now inside the irs under a hundred million dollar deal signed by donald trump that allows palantir to go after you via your financial transactions phone calls and social media now the point of all that folks because it was fun ripping into the irs here using their own timeline at irs.gov the point of that was go all the way back to the beginning folks all the way back to the beginning well in the founding of our country there was no irs they did not collect taxes there was no income tax and look where we are today with the criminal investigation centennial and palantir embedded inside of the irs chasing down everyone they went from not collecting a thing to raping and pillaging every man woman and child here in the united states and you say to yourself wait why can't we win elections what country are we living in oh my god john fetterman won and oz did not folks come on you don't live in the country that you think you live in step outside the illusion step outside of the matrix realize that you are in a country that you can't even define what it is what it means who actually controls it when you take key elements like how we vote who votes how we select senators the central banking system the irs income tax this country is not the country of george washington that country is long gone you are a refugee floating around in a truck stop bathroom ladies and gentlemen you are a refugee living within a technocracy that has dominion over you total control that's what the system is all about and how did they get here in the united states without firing one bullet since the civil war without having you cast one ballot to live inside the technocracy they did it through social engineering howard scott told us that folks he did not lie he was transparent that is the thing look to the history to understand the current look to the history to understand what you are living under look to the history to understand exactly where we are going in the future because this prison planet run matrix this prison planet total control technocratic system this total control socialist progressive communist fascist marxist dump that we live in is not the country of george washington that is long gone we were conquered and now we are refugees inside of our former 
country. I hope you understand that, folks. Join me tomorrow because I'm getting in to eugenics and how that turned into transhumanism and how the eugenicists were partnered with the technocrats. We'll probably bring a little bit of FDR into this because I want to start to show you how they embedded technocracy into our government and into our culture. Folks, I hope you woke up after this episode i hope you understand the truth now i hope you're ready to move forward and we can start to figure out a heck of a lot of solutions together as we understand that this is just an illusion around us now we have to face reality we have to man up and we have to march forward into our own future ladies and gentlemen i am dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold.